0: To my heart, with a knife protecting all of them. But now we've made our beds in a deep, dense forest sound. Whatever, Welcome in everyone. It is 2020 and the most accurate podcast is back. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host on this episode. John and Anthony will be kicking off their offseason episodes soon, but we wanted to sneak in a dynasty-centric episode before the NFL Combine. So today I'm gonna to be joined by the illustrious Nick Whalen. We're going to discuss recent news around some prominent veteran players, then jump into a big discussion about the Combine. Nick's going to detail what he's looking for next week from the incoming rookies in Indianapolis, explain some of the nuances involved in his film-based analysis, and we'll wrap up the show by highlighting his top 12 rookies overall as of tonight, February 19th. In addition to the Dynasty content we're going to start to crank out here at 4 for 4, the best ball train is also picking up steam, so head over to 4 to check out what we've got going on click that red subscribe button up in the top right corner of the page to take a look at early bird pricing for the 2020 season. One more thing before we get to Nick, the music on today's show is a song called I Can't Seem to Tell by the Menzingers from their 2012 album On the Impossible Past. If you want to hear the song in full, click the link in the show notes to the T-Map B-Sides playlist on Spotify, and once you're there, you might as well listen to the whole Menzingers album because it's pretty much perfect from start to finish. And now I'd like to welcome in Nick Whalen. He will be contributing to 4 this season. You can also find him... At Dynasty Nerds. And of course, you know him from the Debbie Report and graduates. Follow him on Twitter at underscore Nick Whalen, W H A L E N. Nick, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I I feel uh, it's really weird. I know people say things sometimes, but I've always loved 444 and and, and John and all the people that have contributed over the years and currently are there. Uh, I actually use 444 for my own rankings, like weekly, like, okay, who do I want to start? So being able to, be on the pod and, and, you know, contribute with you guys is, uh, is really an honor.
0: Well, and considering how accurate John's rankings are year after year after year after year after year, like you couldn't be at a better place to be getting that content for sure. So appreciate you using the 444.com tools and it's great to get you on. Let's talk the key storylines entering the combine here. That's what we're, we're here to talk about The rookie's entering the NFL, but there's some other stuff going on, of course, with veteran players, and let's run through a couple of running back situations that have caught my eye recently. Uh, David Johnson, not looking like he's going to be a featured back in Arizona necessarily anymore. His contract is pretty rough, so he's not going to get cut. Maybe the Cardinals will try to trade him, but with that contract, he might not be tradable. Ian Rappaport is reporting that Kenyon Drake might get the franchise tag. Chase Edmonds is still in the picture. Still, though, it seems to me that the chances are that all three of these guys are going to end up back in Arizona, which isn't great for fantasy. What's your take on this Cardinals backfield?
1: It's a mess. <laughs> Just <laughs> like it was mid-season, figuring out who's going to, you know, for a while Chase Edmonds was going to be the guy, and people were trading absurd amount of of picks or players to get him, and that didn't work out. You feel bad for David Johnson because he had that great year, and then it was an injury, and then now we don't know what he is. But when you look at the cap situation, I mean, his cap hit this year is $14.1 million with a dead cap of 16.2. So like you said, I mean, if they want to cut him, that's a significant amount of money and they don't save a whole lot necessarily. But the next year, there's only $3 million in dead cap, but it still has a $12 million cap hit. So at some point, it's going to hurt. So I don't know if they're just going to rip the Band-Aid off and just let it go. But either way, they could be having Johnson back. Johnson and Drake back just Drake or they could draft a rookie and not pay anybody which is probably what I would do
0: so let's say they do just rip the band-aid off because I, I think that does make some sense like the dead cap hits are rough but if they just don't want to use the roster spot on them because they have Edmonds because they have Drake what does that do for those other two running backs for Drake and Edmonds where would they be going in your drafts do you think if David Johnson was out of the picture
1: well, depends. I mean, they have to sign Drake, too. So sure. assuming they bring Drake back, I think he's in the RB2 area for sure, just because he's a good pass catcher. Now, again, don't forget, he's never carried the full load himself. Uh, and he has some injury history, too, which would be on the back end uh, or in the back of my mind as I make that pick. But I think he would be a trendy pick because we always remember what people did first lately. And he had that great end of the season. So I would guess he would be a little bit too costly for me. And some people would take him a little bit too high.
0: Right, I think that injury risk you mentioned is exactly why all three of these running backs will probably be there in Arizona. That doesn't mean that one or multiple guys can't be productive because we have to imagine that Kingsbury is going to want to keep pushing the pace with that offense and they're going to throw a lot, which is going to lead to more fantasy points, right? Receptions are generally worth more than rushing yards, uh, just based on PPR and based upon the types of plays that you're getting. So maybe these guys hold some value, but for now it's, it's a situation to monitor and perhaps stay away if, if you're drafting anytime soon. Let's talk about Devonta Freeman next, and it seems like he's going to get released from the Falcons, and that would leave them with a depth chart of Brian Hill, Kadri Olison. So if not Freeman, then who I can't imagine that they would be happy with those two backups as their primary running backs. Uh, or maybe you just think this is a good time to buy into Atlanta's passing game, thinking that might they might steer more towards that than towards the running game. What what are your thoughts on Atlanta's offense with this news that Freeman might be gone?
1: Well I think it makes sense. I mean Freeman's been dinged up quite a bit. Uh but the other interesting question is gonna be are they going to bring Austin Hoover back and pay him that money or not? I mean if they don't do that, then really is going to be the big beneficiary I think of targets and not having a great back there. Uh, But I think ultimately, they're going to draft somebody pretty high, uh, either probably second round, I would guess. And that one's going to be very, very sought after in fantasy because Matt Ryan does throw to his running backs. And I think without Hooper there, it could be even more so. So it's going to be really interesting to see what moves they make. Uh, But I think cutting Freeman makes the most sense.
0: I I like the Ridley call. I think if Hooper comes back, he's intriguing. Obviously, he just came off of a great season. But I, I think this actually might be a decent time to buy back into Matt Ryan if you know, someone in your dynasty league or whatever is trying to move off of him after the bad season he had, because I, I do think there's a, a scenario where Atlanta ends up passing a lot more and Ryan gets back to those prolific numbers he was putting up two and three years ago. And, um, and he's
1: an every other year guy, right? So you want to go that's this right. year, right?
0: <laughs> this is the year. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking, maybe not every other year, but every other team for Amari Cooper seems to be, you know, hit or miss. You know, he couldn't make it with the Raiders, but he panned out really well for Dallas and He's a free agent. We don't know exactly where he's going to end up. It could be tough for Dallas to re-sign both Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. We'll talk about Dak in a minute. But what do you see going on here with Cooper? Is it time to start speculating on Michael Gallup, maybe even Blake Jarwin in dynasty formats?
1: I would go hard after Michael Gallup either way. Um, And if I'm Dallas, I'm signing Dak and I'm letting Amari go. You want the guy that can be on the field and consistently playing. And at this point... We've seen enough of these injuries with Amari where, mm, you know, where there's smoke, there could be some fire. And that's not a guy you're going to pay top wide receiver money for, which is what he's going to command. And so I would probably just pass, uh, get the compensation pick you're going to get for him, which is going to be, you know, a third. And then re-sign Dak and then just build around there. Because Gallup was very productive, even with Cooper there. You can draft another receiver if you want. Uh, Blake Jarwin's an interesting call there, uh, They, but then you also, I think the big beneficiary besides Gallup is going to be Zeke, sure. catching 50, 60, 70 passes, which is what you want in PPR leagues.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Let's get to the quarterback carousel here, and we'll start with Dak. Um, my inclination is the same as yours, that Dak is going to end up back in Dallas, uh, but if for some reason he wasn't going to end up in Dallas, is there somewhere else you would rather see him go?
1: Can I be a homer and say Chicago?
0: <laughs> sure I mean you'd take anybody as a Bears fan right
1: yeah I would I mean there's a few places you think uh would be really awesome for him like how about Indianapolis essentially mm-hmm. what he has in Dallas great offensive line he's only got Hilton hopefully they'll get some more weapons in there for him but you know in a dome I think that would be a good spot for him um or if someone really wants to go off the fantasy deep end just say Tampa and then he'll have two great receivers and he can just light up some fantasy numbers and some warm weather
0: yeah, the name I'm hearing most associated with Indy is Philip Rivers. That's that's kind of the rumor that I'm seeing floating around a lot, and I think it makes some sense. Actually, if I'm the Colts or if I'm a Colts fan, I don't know if I want them to sign Philip Rivers. But I don't know. What do you think?
1: No, no, I, I have a different idea for Philip Rivers. I, mean, I, I get that one, but I don't know that Philip Rivers is that much of a an upgrade over J- Jacoby Brissett, honestly. Agreed. But w- one idea I have in my head, and, and I'd love to hear your input on this, is. A long time ago, Bruce Arians in Arizona brings in a veteran who people were kind of just tossed away and they make a run and they do pretty well for a few years there and, you know, the playoffs, et cetera, and the Super Bowl. Um,
0: for those who might not be initiated, you're talking about Carson Palmer.
1: Carson Palmer, yeah. yeah. What if he reunites Rivers with Arians and now he goes to Tampa with those weapons?
0: Yeah, I like that, and that makes a lot of sense considering the the well-publicized story that Philip Rivers moved to Florida. Yeah, you're reading the tea leaves there. I like it. It, it does seem like Tampa is the biggest wild card here, in that it, it doesn't seem like Arians wants Jameis Winston back. And with that in mind, like who who else could end up going there? Rivers is one. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater, but there aren't all that many other free agent quarterbacks I could realistically see going there because. I think Dak is going to stay in Dallas. I think Tannehill is going to stay in Tennessee. I do think Brady is going to stay in New England. And if he goes somewhere else, I don't think it's going to be to Tampa Bay. So you're not really left with a whole lot of options otherwise for Tampa. Like, is there a scenario where you see them re-signing Winston even if they don't necessarily want to? Like, I think that's still in play too, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Because you think of Arians, he's old. He's not going to draft. You know, I know he, he groomed Big Ben and Luck. But he's not going to draft a, a quarterback and then groom them. And then in three years, all of a sudden, they're going to be contenders. I mean, he's old. He's going to be done by then, in my opinion. So I think he's going to go a veteran to make a run for a year two a year. And then I think he's not even going to be in the league. So, you know, he has to get someone on this list. It's not going to be Justin Herbert, et etc.
0: What do you think about Andy Dalton? Because with Joe Burrow likely ending up in Cincinnati, I mean, we, we all assume that's going to happen. Like Dalton is kind of left without a home. Could he be a potential quarterback for Bruce Arians in Tampa? I do. I I like Andy Dalton. I think he
1: gets a bad rap. I mean, not everyone's going to have Patrick Mahomes' arm, you know. Dalton's going to give you just enough, but in some scenarios, just enough with those weapons is going to be good enough. I mean, if Winston doesn't throw 30 interceptions, I mean, they they might win, you know, three more games in Tampa. Um, And so I think Dalton could do that for you. I mean, I know people didn't like marvin lewis but cincinnati has not been a winner hardly ever you know if you want to go back to the early 90s and you know dalton led him to the playoffs many years in a row and if he's that bad the have had a great team around him and i think he's got better receivers than tampa if he ended up there
0: so of the other teams that have maybe shaky quarterback situations you mentioned the bears earlier i'm also thinking about denver and las vegas and the Giants with Daniel Jones, maybe even Washington with Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith and whoever else they have on that quarterback depth chart. <laughs> Which one of these kind of on the fringe teams in terms of how set they are with their quarterback do you think could surprise somebody this free agency period and sign maybe a, a Bridgewater or a Mariota or or one of these other guys we've talked about? now how about
1: Carolina? I mean sure. you have a brand new coach and when you're when you're a new coach, you're gonna bring in your guys and they're gonna be brand new. Uh, head coach but also you know offensive coordinator and if cam newton is not the fit that they want i think they could be a really big dark horse here
0: and where would you see cam going in that situation or where would you want to see him go
1: honestly with cam with his injuries i would love to see him end up in a place where he could be protected but i could see a, a team that wants some publicity how about like miami for cam goes mm-hmm. down there you know he went to florida a long time ago uh, maybe he can kind of rejuvenate himself there and maybe they don't want to spend a high pick on a quarterback or they can't trade up to get to a, and they just end up with cam.
0: Right. And that's that same sort of logic is what makes me think that cam could also fit for the Raiders or for the chargers or for Washington. Like Washington has been so bad for so long. Like the, the quarterbacks that they have, as I mentioned earlier, don't really seem to be, be moving the needle and, I could see them trying to make a splash, Uh, but yeah, the the LA teams that live or the Vegas team and the LA team, uh, the Raiders and the Chargers, I think that could make some sense too. Um, My gut with the Chargers is that that they're going to draft somebody and let Tyrod Taylor be a bridge to whoever they draft, but that's enough on quarterbacks. Nick, let's talk rookies. Let's talk the combine. Uh, The combine is coming up next week and you wrote a a great article of four for four talking about uh, a lot of the players who had declared and that was back in January. So it was January twenty seventh is when you wrote that. Have there been any other you know important declarations that you didn't get to write about in that article that you want to touch on?
1: no i know I, right now I think well, I think the most interesting part of that article for me besides there were some really quality players that went back to uh college, you know that mm-hmm. you know you thought could declare you know Travis Etienne and Najee Harris and you know if you want to stay with Alabama and all those receivers Devonte Smith who I know is skinny but he had better numbers than Jerry Judy this last year he had the best numbers at Alabama all those guys going back but one of the interesting things that I did in that article that if people want to check it out is I looked at how many players have declared over time the last handful of years and then how many of them went undrafted and I think that's very interesting because you know, you have to factor that that risk in. It hovers around about 30 percent of the players that declare don't even get drafted. And, you know, is that risk going to continue? Because this year is the most players that have declared for the draft ever. And, you know, we're going to see some guys that are going to have broken hearts that thought and have agents whispering sweet nothings in their ear of how they're going to be the second or third round pick. And they're not even going to get their name called.
0: Is there one player in particular that kind of epitomizes that for you? A guy who you think maybe shouldn't have declared, uh, but did, and, and now you're worried that they might not get drafted? I don't
1: know. There, there's a few I think that are very um, intriguing for me in terms of. Um, I kind of like Cole McDonald. I, I, you know, he's a surprise declare from Hawaii. Um, and if you want to just talk about quarterbacks, because they get talked about the most, he's um, he's intriguing for me. But he could have stayed another year. He turns the ball over a lot. And same with Jordan Love. I know some people love him. He's getting talked about first round of the Colts. I don't see it. I think if he waits another year and he goes back to those numbers he had from two years ago, he'll be much higher pick. So those two are kind of surprising to me, but I think they both get drafted.
0: So what else are you looking for from these incoming rookies as the combine approaches here? I know that a lot of people are going to be keeping an eye on Tua's health just to see how he looks maybe not fully through the combine period but also through the preseason and all that like it's going to be a waiting game with him I think more than anything but we have to assume he's still going to be a high pick anyway based upon the talent he did flash in college what do you think about Tua what other storylines are you monitoring as we approach the combine
1: well, first off, let's just say that's awesome that Tua had a great checkout of appointment for his hip yes. because he's a great player. And in, if there's one thing about this game, I don't know if any of you guys have played sports and been injured. Injuries are the worst part of this game. If, if you cheer for injuries because it helps your fantasy team, I don't like you. Okay. We should never cheer for injuries because this is their career. And I want to see Tua at the next level because I think he's special. And I think that we all benefit from good quarterbacks. We saw what Mahomes did and brought Kansas City the first championship, you know, in, in a long time. And so, yeah, I want to see him play. So I'm glad that he's healthy. So that's one. But I think the biggest thing, and I know people get wrapped up and we'll talk about the combines, but vertical jumps and the speed and these, you know, there weren't underwear, no pads, no, footballs, etc. I want to see the height weights. I want to see what guys are going to measure in that. I want to see how heavy they are. And this is the time of year where you hear those whispers of, Oh, they had a bad interview. They failed a drug test. Those are the things that are going to matter more to me than they ran 0.05 faster in the 40 yard dash when they're never going to do that in the NFL.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And for a lot of these guys, if you watch them play in college, and I'm not a big college fan necessarily, but if if you you know watch enough games, you can start to see who the fastest guys are. You don't necessarily need the 40 time to tell you that. Um, it, it, there's relativity to this, right? Like when you see these guys on the field against their peers, for sure. But, but let's talk about your background in film-based analysis and try to relate that to what we're going to see in the combine, because I think there's a lot more nuance in what to look for when watching film than a lot of people might realize, because... What are you looking at? Are you looking at a specific technique or looking for a specific technique from a certain type of position player? Like a receiver that can do all the things he needs to do to get open, but just not have the quarterback look his way on that particular play, right? And that's not going to show up on the stat sheet. That's not going to show up uh, maybe even on your screen because the the ball might've been fall or the camera might've been following somebody else, right? We also have to consider, you know, athleticism and ability relative to the other players on the field. Like that matters, not just what somebody's going to test at, but how they look compared to these other folks and what is that level of competition. There's also the nuance of consistency versus ceiling, right? And the sample size concerns that we might have about watching just one play or just one game. And so briefly explain kind of your background in film-based analysis and talk about that nuance and, and all the different sorts of things that you might be looking for from player to player, game to game, season to season
1: yeah that's a great question. And I think that's something that you know we probably should dive in deeper here because that's the thing that I don't think people talk a lot about. And I think when people talk about film analysis, uh, and if people are honest, most people turn on YouTube and watch a highlight tape and they they watch some film, you know, and so I sure. that's not really what it's about. So uh, I guess my background will will quickly go through that. Uh so I've coached football for eleven years. um, I've coached at well, I guess have experience at four different colleges. Uh, I'm sorry, five different colleges, three of them being at the division one level. And that's, uh, my basis of learning this game. And it's, uh, we kind of talked off air and it's, it's a, it's a beautiful game, but it's so complex. And, uh, that's what makes it fun. That's, a, that's what I think it's the number one sport we have. And despite all of the concussions and all the other you know things that could hurt the sport we love it because it's just it's just so much to it you know it's not basketball where you can dominate with one or two players you have to have a team and that's what makes it cool so upon me learning from all these different programs and in, in years from players and different positions I transitioned that into a passion I had of fantasy football. And so I would just watch film and evaluate players and draft them, you know, and and write about it. And people started liking it. So then I just started writing more and I have, you know, publications and and I'm and I'm here today, you know. So I mean, I'm I'm really blessed that way. But you know, the the basis of mine is I look for traits. Think of David Tyree. Okay, David Tyree has this amazing catch in a huge moment a big game, and if he makes that catch four more times, or or an awesome catch like that four more times, then we're talking about David Tyree as someone that you want to invest in. But that one amazing play, right, if we talk about that in a trait form, doesn't matter a lot to me. I need to see someone do something repeatedly over time, and then I know that's in their repertoire and that's a tool. And constantly, because I don't care about the combine, because uh, people talk about Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs, starting in a three or or a four-point stance, right, or three-point stance. And in a track uniform, running in a straight line, doesn't happen on the field. There's reaction time. There's aggressiveness. There's confidence. There's problem solving all the time because there's 22 moving parts on the field. Add in a few more if you want to add in refs, which sometimes get in the way. Sure, sure. Or football. And they have to have all of these tools in their toolbox to make split-second decisions to be successful. And you'll see players that hesitate. They do something they've always done since high school or college where they bounce outside and they can't do that in the NFL and they don't become successful because they don't have another way that they can counter that. And so those are the things that you're constantly looking for. So if we're talking about, you had mentioned receivers, for example, I'm looking for not only feet off the line of scrimmage in terms of how they beat a press coverage, but also their hands and their hand placement. They have to have multiple ways that they're going to beat that DB. Now, let's say they're going to run a fade, for example. You can't just go to the outside because you have to leave room for the correct to drop that in. So I want to see them move inside or at least influence the corner to leave room on the outside. And so that takes place of how they're going to uh, attack the technique of the DB. That's important all the time because you have to stay kind of in the same route path that you want to take if there was no DB, but some guys run way outside. So I look for those little things because if they go way outside of their path, they might get in the way of another receiver. And then a pick happens and we're like, oh man, why did Jameis Winston throw that pick? Well, did you see that receivers way off of their route? It's not really on him. So those are some of the little things that I'm looking for is traits and technique and then how they problem solve because it's never going to go exactly how you want to go it's how you're going to react in that split second decisions that make plays happen
0: so do you think the combine could be trying to capture or measure that stuff better like maybe with scrimmages or something like that like what would you rather see from the combine if what they're actually giving us isn't necessarily helping you from a film watching perspective does that question make sense
1: no it does i would rather they all have pads on and and i would like it to be like a senior bowl I think that would be amazing. And the Senior Bowl also isn't great because you see guys do one-on-ones. For example, you remember years ago when Braxton Miller was lighting it up at the Senior Bowl and he's making all his DBs look silly? Converted quarterback. That's because he's playing like Dance Dance Revolution. He's taking five seconds to get into his route. And, of course, he's going to make a, a DB look silly. But you you have to get around a DB within the shortest amount of space possible because you want to stay in that, and that, that routes them. But also – as fast as possible because your quarterback is going to get sacked and you got to get into your route because there's a timing aspect to it. So, you know, there, there's parts of it where I would love it to be a scrimmage, but it needs to be a little bit more scripted, I think, to be game-like. And again, I'm biased because I'm a film guy, but what they do in the games matters way more to me than what happens at the combine. The only thing that can happen at the combine in terms of uh, jumping and speed is if I didn't see someone with that explosiveness or I see someone test out really poorly and then I'm like, OK, were they injured or sick or are they really not as explosive as I
0: thought? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I like just that general notion that what they did in college and the games matters more than the common. I think that that's something that we can see in common between you know the film analysis aspect of this and statistical analysis is that college production also matters a lot like the numbers they put up uh especially you know the advanced numbers that a lot of people are coming up with these days that i do think explains a lot more than what the combine numbers do and that's not to say that the combine doesn't have any value right because it does give us a window into how these players stack up historically against all other players who have been at the Combine before. I think that that's really important. But I don't know if any one specific Combine test will ever tell the full story of a player just the same way that any one player, one game, will tell the full story of a player. It's just not that simple. Like you said, it's a very complicated game with a a ton of moving parts, I have a few other questions about, you know, what your approach is in film analysis, in just player evaluation um, as we you know, prep to evaluate these rookies. Are you mindful about how old players are when you're looking at them? Yeah, I, I
1: think and I know, you know, breakout age is probably what you're getting to in terms of the stats. And and I'll just touch quickly on this. I'm not one of those where it's like it's all film and stats don't matter at all. And those guys don't sure. know anything. If If you ignore any aspect, I mean, Honestly, every week, new stats and plays happen. And anytime you get new information, you need to use the new information to have a different you know, outcome or a different perspective. So I think anytime we can get more information, it's useful. But I don't think we can use, you know, like you were saying, I can't use one play and say, oh, this guy's going to be a first round pick. I need to use all of the plays if I can and all of the stats. And that's going to give me the, the most consistent projection or the most accurate way. So I think you need to have it just really really well rounded um in order to you you can't ignore something i guess just because it's not in your wheelhouse if that
0: makes sense that makes a lot of sense now how much value do do you assign to special teams contributions is that part of your film watching repertoire and if so are there any players in the 2020 class that stand out to you in that regard like i look at Jalen ragor as one of the more hyped-up wide receiver prospects, and he averaged over 20 yards per return in 2019 with TCU. Donovan Peoples-Jones, a wide receiver from Michigan, was also a pretty prolific special teams player, and I've heard a lot of other people talk about how that can be a good indicator of potential success in the NFL. Where do you stand on special teams contributions? Well, I'm going to pivot
1: slightly and come back to special teams. With the receiver, because you're talking about those specifically, you also want to see receivers line up on the outside and in the slot because that gives you that versatility. That means they're gonna have more snaps on the field and different ways that teams can use them to get targets. So I, I love when guys come line up on both sides of the field. Sometimes they don't in college, which is really bad schemes, but also in the slot and the outside. When you add in the special teams, that just means you were talking about that toolbox earlier. That means they have another tool in their toolbox. And generally when you're a punt returner, that means you have really good short area movements. Um, and, and that's, that's a huge amount of quick decision-making because you're going to get hit and you don't know where these guys are coming from. Uh, another odd one is, uh, CD lamb had some partner turns as well. And for a taller guy, which you normally don't get, that's, that's cool to see. Uh, but yes, I do like that added dimension. I don't like my fantasy assets being punt returners, but I like that they did that in college, which means that they were the most skilled at, in their college uh, to get the job done and be successful. Uh, a quick pivot, if we go to a, a Debbie guy, which is a little bit more my wheelhouse, Jalen Waddle was unbelievable last year as a punt returner. He had 20 returns, Greg, and he averaged, uh, I think, 24.5 yards per return. It's insane.
0: Yeah, that is pretty insane. And actually, that kind of pivots well into uh, one of the next questions I want to ask you. And this is generally kind of a bigger discussion I'm trying to have about, in your film analysis, how you try to stay objective with so many apples to oranges types of comparisons, right, based upon the variations we see in conference and schedule or supporting cast or the scheme, like you talked about, where these guys are lining up, etc., I look at a player like Henry Ruggs from Alabama, another wide receiver. He was presented with pretty stiff competition from his supporting cast. Jerry Judy was there. Devontae Smith, who you've mentioned, is there. Jalen Waddell is there. So Ruggs' target collegiate share, if you're looking at that stat, his target share might not look very great to a stat-centric person like myself. But what do you see with Ruggs when you watch his tape? Is there a, a reason beyond just the competition that might have led to that smaller target share. Like maybe he isn't just as good as people want him to be. What what do you think about him?
1: Adding to your first point of this, besides rugs, just the what I'm looking for, there's bias in everything. And I think we need to be really aware of our bias because it can be very powerful in good and bad ways. Let's say I'm having a bad day. Okay. We have those, you know, someone cut me off driving or, you know, uh something happened at work or with a, you know, a friend or whatever. And I watch film and I'm mad. I might, I might have a bad lens that I'm looking that day through film or stats. Um, or if I just watched um, a high school kid who's slow and then I watch rugs, I might have a different perspective. So I think that what, we need to be aware of that bias and watch guys on multiple days or at least be aware of our biases and how that might affect things. Um, you had said opponents, right? But I'm kind of going more just ourselves because that can happen. Sure. Um, opponents. Yes. But I think what I do is I concentrate so much on traits that opponents don't really matter. Like I'll watch a great play and I watch plays about mm, three to four times because I want to watch and I go slow-mo. I mean, it takes so long, but like, you know, feet, hands, how they attack the guy and you watch it multiple times and you'll watch bad angles from DBs. I'm like, well, that's not a big play or for running backs. Well, that was a huge hole. He just ran in a straight line. Is that special you know and and that I think kind of works through some stuff uh with opponents with uh I mean there could be a great route by a receiver and he doesn't even get the the target which to me that's fine hey I wanted to see a great route because that's what you want to see them continually winning so those things I think um I think see through the apples and oranges because I'm always just looking at those traits and seeing those repeatable traits and that that marks up tally marks for me versus the stats are the big plays because you know like if we looked um two years ago when clemson just blew out alabama well justin ross had a huge play because the corner blew his achilles out well if you look at a stat he had a 70 some yard touchdown well that guy got hurt and i don't, I don't care as much about that because you know then i can see through that a little bit more so i think that part helps it a little bit but going back to rugs there's there are two sides of that argument you know where he had a lot of competition for targets But if you're that great, you should get you should get more targets. Right. And, um, you know, it it could be argued that, you know, Devontae Smith is not the best talent at Alabama, but he had the most targets. Well, is he getting less attention? You know, are they bracketing? Which bracketing, if people don't know, that means where the safety is over the top and there's underneath coverage. So there's two guys kind of in the same area of that receiver. Are they bracketing Judy and Ruggs and Smith's running free? You know, what are they doing? Those are the things you need to kind of look for. But for Ruggs, I I don't see a complete receiver. Uh, I don't think he's one track, but I don't think he's as physical as he needs to be. I don't think he runs his routes as good as he should in terms of being physical or the angles of how he attacks DBs. So he's moved down my list a little bit after I've watched film ahead of those top guys that um, I think are a lot more complete.
0: How about where on the field or when in game situations a player is used? You know, if it's a higher leverage moment and you're seeing that player get more usage, does that matter to you when you're watching these tapes?
1: Yeah, it does to me. When it's fourth down and that guy continually gets targets, okay, that quarterback trusts him and that offensive coordinator trusts him, which means that's probably a good player. Because in in big moments, and I I think I heard this from Saban, if I remember it from an interview, or as Belichick, If you're going to go down, you're going to go down with your best guy not winning, you know, and and that's, that's how it should be. So if it's fourth down and your guy drops the pass, I can live with it. If you're, it's fourth down and you're throwing to your fourth best target, what are you doing? You know, and, uh, I can, I just think of an example, uh, in the fourth quarter when LSU was blowing out Alabama this last year to a drop back and he threw a bomb on first down to take a shot to Devontae Smith, who arguably isn't the fastest guy. At Alabama, right? That would be Ruggs from what we hear. And the best is Judy from what we hear. Why are they going to Devontae Smith in a clutch situation? He catches it, goes for an 80-yard touchdown. Then all of a sudden I'm like, huh, man, did, was that a good uh, matchup? Or does Tua trust him? You know, and those things matter when you add those up over time.
0: Do you feel like you have a, good, a strong indication from that player, from the other plays you've watched on that receiver group that you know would, would make you lean one way or the other with Devontae versus Ruggs?
1: To, to me, Henry Ruggs uh, might be the fourth, or I think he's the fourth best wide receiver at Alabama out of that group.
0: Ooh, um, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I, <take. laughs> I like it. No, um, but yeah, I, I think that that high leverage stuff has to matter a little bit. It's one of the reasons why one of the few things I, I do probably assign more weight than I should uh, is just touchdown production at the college level. Like you look at someone like T. Higgins, he had 12 and 13 touchdowns in his final two collegiate seasons. Like I haven't watched a minute of T. Higgins. I don't really watch college football that much, but To see that he was getting that many scores matters to me. It reminded me of one of the statistical reasons I liked Juju Smith Schuster coming out. Even as his yardage production dipped from his sophomore to his junior seasons before entering the draft, Juju still scored 10 touchdowns in that final college season. That was one of the reasons why I was more inclined to draft him in my rookie draft to say, okay, you know, this guy, at the very least, he, he knows what he's doing in the red zone. And you put him with Big Ben, like there aren't a whole lot of other prolific red zone threats on that team. And I, th- I think this could work. And, if, you know, for a season it did. I don't know what happened in 2019, but uh, I, don't know, I guess the Roethlisberger injury didn't help, of course. But anyway, getting back to that idea of bias and objectivity versus subjectivity, in your experience, do you think that there is ever benefit in being subjective and how so?
1: <laughs> I, I think when you know what to look for and you can ignore the noise, it can help you out. There's a lot of bias with going with the crowd within film, within stats, you know, anything. Uh, two years ago was is, is Randall Cobb right with Rogers. You know, mm-hmm. he was the darling, Christy Michael, you know, you hear these, all there's always those darlings. Sometimes they hit Chris Godwin this year. Right. But I think you need to, if you do your research, you need to stay with what you think. and, There can be benefits to that, huge benefits to that. I mean, because with my Debbie stuff, I watched all these guys in high school, Cam Akers and Taylor when he was at New Jersey, you know, in high school. I've been watching these guys for so many years. If someone says some take on Twitter, I would argue I've seen more film than they have because I've watched him for high school, freshman, sophomore, and now this year, that's four years of watching him. I don't know that everyone else has. So I think in a way uh, you can if you've put the work in, but I've also, you know, I would say when I was less confident in this, I would get moved more by what people thought, and that's kind of bit me a little bit more. But it can be helpful if you hear other opinions, but I think if you do your research, you should stay by what you think.
0: Right, and if you're listening to smart people, that can also be helpful, right? Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Like,
1: Like Matt Waldman, for example, in film. I respect Matt a ton. I don't always agree with what he is, but when he says something i listen cuz i know he put in a ton of work and i know people have uh, you know their analytics people that they're like wow okay i really need to rethink that is but re- rethink your, your 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 you know hypothesis or your results or your rankings but you know just because it's on twitter and 20 people retweeted doesn't mean you should like rethink everything
0: So allow me to dive into my own biases for just a bit. And I want you to tell me what you think about Joshua Kelly. Because before he went for 1,000-plus yards and 12-plus touchdowns in each of his two UCLA seasons, he was putting up numbers at UC Davis, which is my alma mater up in Northern California. So what do you think about Joshua Kelly?
1: Uh, I think he's a slower-twitch guy. And one thing that I've been coming to the realization of the past probably last two years As I think that, uh, you know, Mike Warren, I think, is similar to Josh Kelly in terms of high production in college, physical guys, but not quick twitch. And I think there's a baseline amount of athleticism you need to be fantasy football relevant or an impact player, especially at running back. Unless you're hoping that an injury happens, you know, Jalen Samuel gets it. volume, it, Volume is king, right? Exactly. So. Um, I think that we pay too much attention kind of in general with those big guys, not not to hurt the bias of your guy of your own school, but I think that we pay too much attention to these day three guys when rarely do they hit, and we need to pay attention to what n f l draft says and the higher athletic guys than the outliers
0: right so that actually makes me think of someone like Aaron Jones, who you know was a pretty late draft pick, but All the measurables were there. Like, he was getting a ton of hype from the fantasy community based upon that, based upon his college production. It it was kind of a mystery why he was drafted after Jamal Williams at the time. I mean, it kind of still is a mystery based upon what they've done at the NFL level. It's not to take anything away from Jamal Williams, but Aaron Jones does seem like a a special type of talent, at the very least, when he's healthy. Does that matter more to you when you look at, like, combine and statistical production like you might be that's the sort of stuff you're looking for that kind of quick twitch athleticism maybe expressed in a different way whether it's through the production numbers or through the combine measurables does that make sense
1: no yeah exactly yeah and that's you know he's that guy where he's
0: athletic enough
1: And he catches the football, which we talked about is super important in terms of fantasy football production. So he's a guy that I would have taken a chance on with Jamal, Jamal Williams, not Jamal Charles. I like Jamal Charles back in the day. Jamal Charles (laughs) is pretty good. Yeah. Um, But Jamal Williams, I didn't see it. And so I know some people really didn't. He was high on Mel Kiper's board and, you know, out of BYU. But uh, he's one that I wouldn't have pursued based upon the baseline athleticism and the hands
0: So let's talk more about this idea of a combine warrior, right? Like you mentioned how these guys, when they're at the combine, they're not wearing pads. It's not an ideal football situation. It's an athletic situation. So I guess I'm wondering, do you believe that the combine misses on some players because they are somehow better at playing in full pads? Does does that make sense? Like, it sounds like based upon your earlier comments, that's kind of where you lean, that you'd rather see these guys in situations that are more akin to football. Is that right?
1: Oh, 100%, because what the combine does not account for is there's a defender in front of you, and you might hesitate in your mind, which makes you hesitate a little bit on the field, which, as you're trying to run through around this defender, the pursuit defender is a little bit closer. But other guys turn, and they have no fear, and they just go. That's something small that we're never going to see, but that stuff really matters in the NFL a ton, because pursuit is happening all the time. and those reactions and how they use technique to get around guys and to use their hands matters more than how far you can jump standing and run in a straight line and catch the football. Now, again, I like the gauntlet drill catching the football. You need to see that, but how many times are you going to catch one, then catch another one? Never, literally never in a game. So, you know, like I understand kind of what they're testing, but you know, or running a straight line for a 40 yard dash, which everyone loves. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, they're in this percentile of all these guys You're measuring, you know, just athleticism, which not all guys translate the athleticism onto the field based on confidence and technique and reaction time. Then there's stories both ways. And I know I just talked about you need a baseline athleticism. Well, that's to be an impact player at a really tough position of running back where there's dime a dozen, you know, in terms of guys that are are good. But I'm not going to be going crazy over a guy when his film does not match his athleticism.
0: So how do you think we could better capture that football IQ or that awareness that that you're talking about? Like, I think about the interviews that these players go through with the different teams, the Wonderlick test, things like that. Do do those do enough? Do those do anything for you? Like, what's your opinion of of that part of the process?
1: I think that might be the most important part of the process because, you know, earlier you had touched on um, special teams, right? Sure. And that matters for NFL teams. That matters nothing for fantasy football owners. And so, you know, it, it's the fifth round and Cleveland drafts this guy at a skill position. You are like, what the heck did they draft him for? I don't like him at all. They might have liked him as a special teams guy and he might be a backup running back. You know, what one example for me was uh, last year, I really liked Tyree Jackson and Brett Ripon, quarterbacks. Both went undrafted. They, I think they were my fifth and sixth best guys or something like that. And Baltimore drafted Trace McSorley. And I'm like, I, I don't see this at all. Trace is a terrible quarterback, et cetera. But he not just special teams, which, you know, he I don't know if he plays special teams. He may have this last year. But in terms of fit for that team, he does read option stuff. That's what Lamar Jackson does. He fit that scheme. And I think so many times we we try to put guys in like, this is going to be the best fantasy producer. NFL teams are trying to get fits. For their schemes. That's why we see these speedy wide receivers get drafted early. Will Fuller, John Ross, Tavon Austin, et cetera, because they're trying to have a different dynamic to help their offense be productive. Not because this guy's going to catch the most passes out of every receiver that's available. And so I think that stuff matters to teams. And then when you add in the element of we don't know their injury reports because they do those, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. medical evals. And then how do how do they do in terms of interviews? What kind of person are they going to add to my locker room? Just like when you're at your office at work, how is the dynamic you working with somebody else? Because being a teammate matters to NFL teams. It doesn't matter to your, your fantasy team. You don't know how a guy is. Are they a diva? Are they not? Can they get away with being a diva or not? Do they learn well? Can they understand the complex scheme? Some guys aren't good learners. I had that in college. I remember a receiver that was probably the most athletic, when we talk about the combine, okay, at one of my colleges, he literally asked me to make him a wristband. Okay, he's a red shirt senior, okay? He's asking me to make him a wristband of all of the plays and everything he has to do on all the plays. You've been in this offense for five years. That's a red flag. Now, if you just looked at him running like the combine, you'd be like, oh, that guy, he could be a second-round pick. And you don't know the hindrances that they have behind the scenes. And I think that really matters to teams.
0: So let's talk about some of those guys who stood out at the combine, but then didn't really pan out at the NFL level. These combine warriors, who are some prominent names that come to mind for you? And do you think that there were any outside indications or warning signs that we could have seen as fantasy owners that would have told us these players are going to flame out? Because like you said, we don't get to see the medicals. We don't get to do the interviews. We don't necessarily know what goes on behind the scenes. All we get is this athletic data. But was there anything else maybe from your film watching that might explain why a player like Christine Michael wasn't going to work out or, or anybody else like that? Like, who stands out to you? And what do you think we missed?
1: Yeah, Christine Michael was a huge one I didn't like.
0: <laughs> huge
1: one. And I and I got into many debates on Twitter and, you know, et cetera, because I, I didn't see it. I didn't see his ability to make a guy miss or problem solve and his approach to the line of scrimmage that would make him overly successful. Now, again, he's athletic. I'll give him that. He's got the size. But being a running back is a lot more than size and running in a straight line or running around three cones in a really quick amount of time. You know, like it's not football. Um, and, you know, a couple other guys were Chris Henry. Now, I know people are in their head. They're thinking of the receiver RIP who, who died with the Bengals. But I'm talking about the running back that was with Tennessee before Chris Johnson test out crazy well at the combine. He was out of Arizona. Didn't have a lot of stats. I didn't see it on film. They drafted him in the second round. And he didn't do hardly anything in the NFL. Stephen Hill, a couple years ago at Georgia Tech, big, tall, fast, doesn't pan out. And year in, year out, there's guys that do this. And we, we have to remember that playing football is different than being athletic. And you have to use the athletic traits on the field or they really don't matter as much.
0: Would you care to forecast maybe a player or two in this draft class who, based upon what you have seen on film, would project to be a very good athlete, but who doesn't have those traits that you're looking for, like a Chris Henry or like a Stephen Hill? Um, any players in this draft class that were that you're worried might become the next Combine Warrior?
1: Interesting. Um, I would, uh, I would say in a way, Henry Ruggs could be that guy <laughs> now because because it's a Henry well, Ruggs slander podcast. Because the, the hype's going to get out of control. I, I'll say another one, a guy that I think's crazy athletic, that on film I don't see it as much as Cam Akers. Cam Akers, after the combine, it's going to the hype train's going to go up because he's athletic. But I don't see his decision-making as good as it could be. I'm not saying he can't be a good NFL player, but I think he's going to be in this elite tier. He's going to be, you know, people are talk about him as the top three, top four rookie pick, and I don't see that one. Those are probably the top two that that people are gonna really gonna know. I don't I don't have it off the top of my head. That's gonna just jump out and be a huge. Uh, I mean, I think Jalen Rieger is a good player. Riger, I'm sorry, he's a good player, and he's gonna test out unbelievable at the combine.
0: Okay, so he might be. I mean, it's it's funny to say. I was gonna kind of pivot this to say like which kind of combine warrior type players did work out in the NFL. But the more I think about that question, the more I realize those are just the players who are good, right? Like, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. well, there, there's a couple. I mean, that I think rose and then they hit like. Julio Jones was one who got injured. Remember, he put those crazy numbers to the combine with a broken foot. And his numbers at Alabama were good, but they weren't amazing. You know, it was him and A.J. Green. They were fighting. And those are That's basically athlete versus this huge technical guys. And they're both huge. So he was one, I think, that hit. I mean, he's, I think, besides Antonio Brown, which I know people have this very clouded view of him now, are the best two receivers, I think, of the last 10 years. Easy. Oh, yeah. Um, another one I think that we kind of forget about because they haven't produced recently is OBJ. OBJ had a crazy combine and he didn't, didn't produce a ton at LSU, produced some, but he kind of kept rising. I mean, he ran what a four, three, one at the combine, which was blazing. And then we're like, okay, who's this OBJ guy? And then he's making these catches. And then he rose, rose, rose for a strong pick. Then he has that one game, you know, and then he's mm-hmm. on the map. But before that, I don't know that people were talking about OBJ. I remember this for a long time. I had OBJ ahead of Jarvis Landry. And
0: I remember people had Landry ahead of OBJ. That's awesome, man. I mean, well, maybe not anymore. It's it's hard to say. I mean, what, what do you see with those two guys going forward to kind of pivot back to veterans real quick? Do you think OBJ is going to get it back on track in 2020?
1: He needs to. I mean, Baker Mayfield had a bad year. He had a historical low TD percentage. So did Jared Goff. And I think both of them are going to bounce back just on pure regression to the mean. I don't know that he's ever gonna have those fifteen hundred yard seasons again, but I I think this next year he'll have at least twelve hundred yards. He'll bounce back some. I, I like Jarvis Landry, he's the most underrated guy, no one cares about. And I think the big reason that you don't know, talk about this bias is cause he's not a great athlete. People are like, oh, he'll fall off. He's a good football player, which in the end, if they get the stats, that's all that matters.
0: So let's try to crystallize this discussion that we've had about the combine and about these rookies uh, into something that fantasy players can use right let's talk about your top 12 rookies overall and maybe we can also talk about the top quarterbacks and tight ends because they're not necessarily going to always fit into that first round of a rookie draft where, where does it start for you up at the top are you looking at a running back are you looking at a wide receiver like who stands out to you from this class if you go to rank your, your top rookies overall
1: to me right now, I mean, you want to have, and I've been preaching this, and if you haven't heard this, I'm going to say it again, running backs that can catch are going to be good fantasy producers. I will start with this. I don't know that this class has an elite. They're going to be top three, third position player in it. And I think too many times we think this, the newest is going to be the best. Right. I don't think that's what this class is. I think this class has seven guys that are in my first tier, and they're all pretty good. And I think that's okay. So, I mean, in that top tier, my running backs in order right now, again, I'll do a lot more film, would be Swift, DeAndre Swift at Georgia, who catches the ball really well, could have almost like an Alvin Kamara type role, which could hurt him a little bit. We'll have to see what his usage is going to be. Then it would be Jonathan Taylor, who doesn't have as great of hands, better this last year. How, and you want to talk about you know athleticism versus how they use it on the field. What's interesting, I'll just put this film tidbit in here, if that's okay, Swift is very creative. He can press a hole, which pressing hole is going to the design hole, and then cut back and have these huge cuts. Jonathan Taylor doesn't have that as much in his repertoire. He goes to the design hole and then just cuts slightly off of that, kind of like Adrian Peterson. You never saw Adrian Peterson reversing field like Barry Sanders. There's very, there's an art form to playing in the NFL, and those two have very opposite ways of how they went on the field, but they're both successful, which I think is just kind of interesting that the, the top two running backs that I have are very polar opposite based on how they attack uh, a designed play. Uh, but my next running back would be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's under the radar. If you have not watched him or you don't have him up there, you're really missing out. This guy is special in terms of making guys miss, catches the football really well, super quick. I kind of have him as a as a juiced up Devontae Freeman, who we talked about earlier, and that could have a good fantasy role if you catch the ball. And then the next running back would be Dobbins. So that's... Those four are in my top seven, and then I receiver- before we
0: move on, can I dig in a little bit more on Jonathan Taylor? Sure. A couple of questions for you because he went to Wisconsin. Wisconsin is known relatively well as a, a an offensive lineman factory. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, how much do you think he was helped by that aspect of his college? And following up on that, Taylor averaged over 308 carries per college season in, in his three years. Do you have concerns about that workload? perhaps making him more prone to injury at the NFL level, or maybe preparing him better for the NFL level? Like how does that sort of large workload for running back factor into your analysis?
1: No, two good questions. One, I think the, the Wisconsin system helps Taylor because um, they, they use the running back a ton. So you're going to see him and you're going to get a big sample size, which is good. You know, exactly what you're going to get in Jonathan Taylor. The offensive line isn't as elite as it has been in past years. In fact, if you want to look at Swift and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, had better offensive lines in terms of, um, you know, projected yards, you know, that a running back should yards get blocked.
0: Sure. Okay. Right,
1: versus Taylor. So um, I know, and again, that's that bias, right? We have that bias where we're like, oh, well, you know, Taylor isn't as good because Wisconsin's line is just really good. But LSU's was amazing. So is Georgia's. So um, that's just something to, to think about, too. So in terms of the workload, no, that doesn't bother me because, honestly, with how the NFL is right now, we only care about their rookie contract. And when the carries are going to catch up with them, we're not going to probably care about them as much. So, you know, when you look look at four to five years of Taylor, the, the carries aren't going to matter. And he hasn't been dinged up. You know, Swift has been dinged up. Clyde Edward has been dinged up. Dobbins has been dinged up. Akers has been dinged up. Taylor hasn't. So, you know, in a way, that might be a good thing, knowing that either, you know, he can play through injury or he's just very sturdy.
0: Fair enough. So um, recapping the top four you had, it was DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and J.K. Dobbins. You said those guys were all in your overall top seven. Do you want to keep going with running backs? Do you want to add some wide receivers to the mix? Uh, what's next for you?
1: Yeah, because that top seven I think is my top tier, and then there's a drop-off. Uh, so let's talk about receivers, and this is going to be a little bit of I um, I don't know, a surprise probably for some. But I, I like C.D. Lamb. I think C.D. Lamb is very well-rounded receiver. He's the most complete for me. In the way that he wins before the ball's in the air, while the ball's in the air, and then afterwards, his yak's awesome. Um, And then I'm also a big fan of T. Higgins, too. You talked about T. Higgins earlier, but I really like how he attacks the technique of corners when he runs routes. He's very smooth for a big guy, and and he's still a good athlete. You know, I I don't know. He's not going to test out crazy like Ruggs or Rager, but he's also going to be 6'4, 220, and you can't. You can't put those guys in the same scale. You just can't really do that. You know, there's only one Randy Moss. You know, right? Um, uh, and then Jerry Judy. I, I'm a little bit more down on Judy than some others are. Um, I know he was the darling, and then, you know, he's not the darling anymore. He lined up in the slot a lot, and he's not very physical. I, you know, obviously his route running is great, um, and he makes those huge devastating cuts. But I'm just a little bit more down on. On him, although I still really like him. You know, that's the thing. It's like, mm-hmm. I know so many people want you to like love a guy or hate a guy. There's a big area in between. I still really like Jerry Judy.
0: Just not quite as much as CeeDee Lamb and T. Higgins, right? Exactly. Yeah. So do any of those guys, like if you're doing a rookie draft, do they slot in ahead of the top four running backs you have there, or would you take all the running backs ahead of these three wide receivers?
1: Well, man, the NFL draft's going to tell me a lot. I mean, right now, if I had to go, I would have. Lamb would be my top three somewhere. Um, and then, I mean, Higgins and Judy are almost equal to me. So, I mean, there's not really a big separation there. But I'm, I'm more down on J.K. Dobbins than almost anybody. <laughs> okay. um, I still need to study him a lot more. But from what I've studied, he just doesn't ex- excite me. There's the, and Maybe I'm going to be completely wrong here. But, you know, there's this rumors of him running in the four threes, which I've never thought that. When you watch him get caught from behind by college players, I, I don't know how that's going to happen. I, I would be completely shocked if he broke a four-four-five. He's probably a four-five-three guy, and that's okay. But so many people think running a four-four is what players should do. Running a four-five is pretty fast, you know. Running a four-four is pretty rare. I mean, you want to look at at forty-yard dash times. Leonard Fournette's a fast guy. I think we can agree. He ran a four-five-one. Melvin Gordon ran a four-five-two. I mean, running really fast is not as common as people think. Of course, these DBs and wide receivers do it, but that's what they're supposed to. Running backs they don't they don't break the four. You know, the javed Bests and the you know uh, spillers and the Chris Johnsons aren't aren't the norm. They're they're the you know the outliers. So th- those would be my top seven uh, right now. And then if you want to kind of go with that next tier after that, we talked about Jalen Rager man, that guy's got juice, man. He's got... The other thing I like in, in receivers, too, for a smaller guy, they got a little bit of a dog in him. They got some fight, you know? Mm-hmm. Think of the of the Steve Smith a little bit. You know, Rager's got some of that. I like that. He's, he's a little chippy. Uh, he's going to win. He's going to high point for a little guy. I like that. And then one guy I like that's under the radar is, is Keyshawn Vaughn out of Vanderbilt. Really like his game. He's a transfer from Illinois. Went to the SEC. He's a marked guy. I know Vanderbilt has... Lipscomb, and they got—I um, can't think of the tight end off the top of my head right now. He's—he's he's decent too, but Keyshawn Vaughn was the guy, and teams are going to stop him. and He didn't have a good O line, and he still produced really well in the SEC, the best conference, which we talked about that bias earlier, right, in mm-hmm. opponents. And so, to me, that you know that was good. And plus, he—I really like his decision making and how he—he he runs at the line of scrimmage, you know, with making cuts, reading blocks always running under control, balanced, running harder than you think. He's just really well-rounded, and I think he's getting underrated right now. So he's a guy that I'm higher on. Then I have like a Cam Akers, uh, LaVisca Chenault, which is going to be really interesting. Chenault's a, man, he's just like a chess piece. He's a a really physical player, a really good athlete. I know people say he's Cordell Patterson, but if you remember Cordell Patterson out of Tennessee. He's a freak. (laughs) Yeah, he's way better athlete than Chenault. And Chenault was good in his own right. But Patterson was an alien. So, you know, it's going to be interesting how Chanel's used and what the end if you have him as. And then I have Ruggs would round out my top 12.
0: Yeah, okay. That lines up pretty well with kind of some slapdash research I did leading up to this podcast. Kind of trying to gauge the consensus. It does seem that, like, Swift, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. Those are kind of the consensus top five guys um acres is interesting right his targets his receptions went up each college season uh he was used a lot which does matter to some people we talked about that with jonathan taylor we talked about that usage and that like dominator rating if if you want to use player profiler um that that does seem important at times for some players so maybe that will end up mattering a lot for him and wide receiver does seem to be a little bit more wide open like judy Ceedee lamb jalen Rager, t higgins those seem to be the pretty consensus top-tier wide receivers. But then after that, it opens up, right? Like you mentioned Chenault. You mentioned Keyshawn Vaughn, who I didn't even have on one of my lists. Like I see the tier two and tier three types of guys as Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Tyler Johnson, KJ Hamler, Chenault, Justin Jefferson, maybe Denzel Mims. You want to make any honorable mentions from that group of wide receivers or should we move on to quarterbacks and tight ends?
1: I'll make a couple other ones besides that one. I mean, Brenda ioke he's... Pretty athletic. Um, Michael Pittman, I like him out of USC. Um, and then another one I'll throw in. Or actually, I'm going to throw in a few other guys just because I love this stuff, man. This is great. Zach Moss, super physical guy out of Utah. Some guys are super high on him. I like him. Um, don't love, like him. I like little Michael Pirine out of Florida. Um, Anthony McFarland is a running back, too. So how about that? I'm just going to throw out a bunch of names for you guys just to go and research. But all those are, you know, you want to think of your top two rounds those are all the names that we had said those are guys for you to research for sure
0: well and we're going to keep coming back to these lists as we do more podcasts throughout the off season here like after the combine leading up to the draft after the draft we'll let all of these different data points influence us and try to help us sort through it figure out where these guys really need to slot when it's time to finalize our rookie drafts and i know that some people are drafting rookies now some are going to be doing it right after the combine some wait till after the draft and that's why we're going to kind of keep up with this as the off season plays out um Real quick, just give me your top three quarterbacks from this class.
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit different than other people, but I have Tua as my number one quarterback. I like Joe Burrow, but I think Tua could be special, and I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not going to anticipate how he plays when he's back. And then I know people like Jacob Eason, they like Justin Herbert, they like Jordan Love, but my third quarterback is Jake Fromm from Georgia. I don't trust those other guys, and I know Fromm's not going to be amazing, but I think he does things all pretty well. And that's going to be my third guy.
0: So what did Fromm show you at that level? Because I think most people agree that Tua and Burrow are the top two. But who you put third does matter. That's a little bit more of a nebulous situation, right? Like, what is it more specifically that you like about Jake Fromm?
1: Anticipatory throws. I think he reads both sides of the field. He can uh, look off safeties. He can manipulate them, which is nice. Uh, You know, I said anticipatory. I mean, that means he's going to throw to receivers before they're open at times, which is great. He knows where his check down receivers are. All those things, I think, matter way more than how strong your arm is, which I think is what a lot of people think of. If you want that, go go get Jacob Eason, who throws it like a cannon, like he's Jay Cutler every throw, which doesn't complete more passes because sometimes it goes off your receiver's hands because you need to put touch on it. And I'm, I'm more down on Justin Herbert. He's he's essentially uh, Mitchell Trubisky for me, which, you know, I'm a Bears fan. It's just sad. But he checked down, checkdown, down, check down, wide receiver screen. Poor accuracy down the field. I know people are going to like him because of tools. He could be one of those Daniel Jones-type guys where the NFL likes him more than I like him, but I'm going to trust Jake Fromm right now.
0: All right, how about tight ends?
1: Uh, tight end, this is not your year. If you want a tight end, <laughs> these guys are not that great. I'll just be honest. I'm, I'm not really blown away by them. My my top one's going to be Randy Moss's son, Thaddeus Moss. Uh, he's got good ball skills, which you like. I don't know if he's going to be an uber-great athlete. Uh, his route running is okay. He's uh, a little physical too, which I I don't mind that. But I don't, I don't think you know when you like really look at the what we had last year, Noah Fant and Hawkinson. You know before you know Evan Ingram and OJ Howard and Najoku. Like this guy's not in that that realm at all. I like Hunter Bryant. Which you want to talk about different types of tight ends? That's something that's going to be interesting because he's that move tight end. He's that Jordan Reed, Aaron Hernandez, Trey Burton type of tight end. He's not going to be inland blocker. You know he's six two. You know he's essentially a a big receiver that they just kicked into tight end. Where he's got some good ball skills. Which if you're looking for fantasy production, he might be the guy to to look for. But what's going to be his usage on an NFL team is going to be very interesting. You know you, he's going to have to be in a good scheme. Um, and then Cole Komet, he's uh, solid at Notre Dame. I'm not as in love with him as other people are.
0: Awesome, Nick. That's great. Um, and like we said, these these lists are probably going to change as the off season plays out. I can't wait to see how everything comes together with the combine, with the draft, with free agency. All this is going to dictate how we value these rookies, how we value the the veterans that they might be supplanting. It's it's an exciting time. Football season never ends anymore, man. It, there is no off season. So uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, you know, middle of February. Why don't you let the listeners know uh, where they can find you on social media and and what sort of work you got coming down the pipeline.
1: Yeah, no thanks. I mean this is this is my Christmas, you know, and if if you're wondering when, you know, when you're a little kid on Saturday mornings, you know, people probably watched cartoons or or whatnot. I watch taped NFL drafts. I, I just love this prospect <laughs> stuff, man. It's just, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not wired the same as everyone else. So this is this is my time to shine. So and, and because of that, you know, follow me on Twitter at underscore Nick Whalen. And uh I'll be working on the Debbie report, which would be non-draft eligible prospects. I'll be releasing that publication and The Graduates, which is this class of prospects, but all my film stuff. So I've been doing the Debbie Report would be this is year six, and then The Graduates will be year three for me. So um, you know if you're interested in that, just follow me on Twitter. I'll let you know when they're released.
0: Sounds good. Thanks again for coming on, Nick. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that wraps it up for this episode of T-Map. We hope you're as excited about the 2020 NFL season as we are and that you'll stay tuned throughout the offseason as we continue to dive into Dynasty, Best Ball, and eventually redraft fantasy football content. If you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. And if you have any other feedback or questions you'd like to share, please hit me up on Twitter, at GregSauce. Otherwise, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast. Podcast! <laughs>